Okay, welcome back. It's Chris from the Mighty Decibel, and we're going to be returning to our Albums by the Decade series this episode. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at the discography of Scotland's Nazareth. And to help us with this task, we've uh, invited an expert, uh, Robert Lawson, the author of Rasmus Naz, The Listener's Guide to Nazareth, uh, has uh, agreed to join us. Thank you for joining and welcome. Hey, Chris. Uh, so uh, tell us about how, uh, what motivated you to uh, write the book. Uh, I've been thinking about trying to come up with a project for a while. Um, I have a website of music reviews and concert reviews uh, called thissideofthetracks.ca. So I've been working on that for a few years. And finally, um, I wrote a lengthy piece about Kiss's Destroyer album. And my friend Martin Popoff, who's written many books about hard rock and heavy metal, as you know, uh, and he's been a friend of mine for quite a while. He called me up and uh, he said, I just read this Kiss article. You know, are there other bands that you know this level of detail about? So uh, I was literally standing in my living room where you see behind me on the phone with Martin going through my collection and just seeing, well, who do I have their complete or almost complete catalog and that I know enough about and that I care enough about to want to only listen to them for maybe two, three years and uh, Nazareth popped up right away. And then when I looked into it, I found out that there'd never been a book written about Nazareth, which felt really weird, uh, considering that they've been around for so long. But so those two things together, like I, I do love Nazareth. I guess I love them a lot more now. But uh, I, you know, I grew up with their music. I loved them in the 70s when I was a kid. And uh, then to find out that there was no book about them, it was uh, pretty easy to choose. So that was my first project. And uh turned out really well a lot of people really liked it the guys in the band really liked it uh, dan likes it so it uh, turned out really well excellent so so what got you in the band in the first place was there an older brother uh, how, how did you stumble across the band uh you know i have no idea i was uh just kind of a 70s hard rock kid i got into kiss and cheap trick and groups like that and somehow um somehow nazareth was just part of that i know in canada they put out a double LP called Very, Very Best Of. And uh, I'm pretty sure that was the first one that I had. I never had the blue cover. There was a Greatest Hits, which kind of a sky thing that a lot of people had. And that, that album actually charted. I think they put it out like before Too Close uh, or Close Enough for Rock and Roll. Uh, so that's really vintage. But this other collection is, like I say, a double album. And just covered all kinds of stuff. It had the hit singles, but it had deep album cuts. So it really introduced me in one shot to the whole catalog in a way. So I learned a lot about, and I didn't know the difference because I was a kid. I didn't know that Love Hurts was a you know huge smash, and then something else like kind of Vancouver Shakedown that they yeah. never played live or something. And I just accepted it all, and I just loved it, and slowly started picking up more and more of their albums until I ended up with not only all of the complete catalog on Castle when they did the reissues with some bonus tracks, but then I got the complete catalog again on Salvo because some of them had different bonus tracks. And, you know, at that point, I'm just, you know, too far gone. Yeah, well, that's what us fans do, right? Sure. <laughs> you gotta have yeah. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So before we begin, uh, do you mind giving a little uh, biography overview of the band uh, uh, for fans out there? Yeah, of course. Um, so the original four man group, uh, formed in Dunfermline, Scotland, where they're from, 
and uh, a lot of success right away. Like they they dominated parts of the 70s. Um, they were putting out two albums a year. They're touring constantly, doing some TV appearances and radio broadcasts, uh, stuff like that. But they were really working hard for a long time. Deep Purple took them out as the opening act on a few of their early North American tours. And uh, just like album after album, the catalog, especially I know we're going to talk about each decade, but the catalog in the 70s, it's just like one after another. These like great, great records. And the quality doesn't really dip too much except for, you know, maybe one or two cases. But even those albums still have some great songs. By the 80s, I think they had a little trouble maneuvering and uh, which like a lot of hard rock bands did uh, changing times to the 80s. And there were some lineup changes, and that's kind of gone on with a few guitar players coming and going. Uh, they're still around. They have a new album coming out uh, in a couple of months this year, and they're still touring. They were in Toronto like twice in the last uh, five years, I guess. Um, so they've still been around, and they're one of those groups that I know they don't get talked about maybe quite as much as some of the contemporaries from that time. But I find when I'm in a Facebook, book music group or I'm doing an interview like this with somebody or just even chatting with somebody at my record store that as soon as you mention Nazareth you know if you're of a certain vintage mm-hmm. and you have a certain amount of gray hair maybe mm-hmm. people just go oh yeah Nazareth man that guy could sing yeah. you know so so a lot of people who maybe they don't you know they don't have all their CDs and they don't listen to them on a daily basis but they have nothing but fond memories of like seeing them at the gardens in 78 or whatever, seeing them in their own hometown. And uh, they were, they were a really big part of uh, the seventies and a real big part of Canadian culture. Um, They were huge here. They were, they were getting platinum albums here when they were getting, you know, gold in other territories, if that. And they, uh, yeah, we were a bigger market for them than the U S yeah. Yeah. And they ended up recording, um, I think like five of their albums uh, in Canada which is, you know, really cool as well. So they're, they're, they're kind of linked with Canada in some ways more than, uh, more than some other bands. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks uh, for the overview there. Uh, so just rules of engagement before we begin. It's pretty simple. Um, uh, uh, Robert and I will each uh, provide what we think are the, the best albums of each decade and the worst. And then if there's an over or underrated one uh, that we'd like to talk about, we'll throw that in as well. And uh, we've merged the, the 2000, uh, 2000, 2010s into one. So we've got four uh, eras to go through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. So we'll jump right into it. And uh, we're going to do it chrono- uh, chronologically, do the 70s first. And we've agreed that uh, because there's so many great albums in, in uh, the 70s, and this was their golden era, that we do two top ones for the 70s. Uh, so we've got uh, the self-titled album issued in 71 uh, through to 1979's No Mean City, nine albums for consideration. So Robert, what's your thoughts on the top albums of the decade? Well, so right there, when you put it that way, nine nine albums in one decade like that's incredible like like that just you know proves what i was saying about the output that they're just like non-stop uh the 70s is the best like i said they they dominate that decade for my favorites uh probably my favorite nazareth album of all is from 1979 no mean city so this is the first one with zal clemenson on extra guitar from the sensational alex harvey band 
which is another Scottish group, which is a great band. Um, and this album just it just covers so much, and it's 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 got a little bit. Of, it leans towards metal, but it's still hard rock. And then there's some like really um, some like mandolin playing on some of the songs. You know, Manny used to do this thing where he would do these bed tracks of acoustic guitars, and then lay a mandolin over it. And then do his electric lead on top of that. And on some of these reissues, you can really hear all those different layers in there. So Nomi City is an absolute uh, essential Nazareth album for me. For my second one, it's hard to pick uh, as your shirt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hair of the Dog is, uh, is a great album. And that's one that a lot of people kind of know because it had a lot of different hits on it. And the North American version, of course, had Love uh, Hurts. But uh, still got really heavy stuff, like the title song, Hair of the Dog, that I always thought sounded like back in black era, Brian Johnson. And uh, but then like Beggar's Day, Whiskey Drinking Woman, Please Don't Judas Me, just Miss Misery. Great, great stuff. Yeah. yeah, great stuff. But, yeah. you know, you can't go wrong with Expect No Mercy. That's a heavy album as well. So from the 70s, there's lots of good ones um, to pick for sure. And Rasmanaz is, yeah. you know. That's a real, that's kind of their first real big record. Yeah. The first album's really strong. Second one, a little bit more of a folky thing, some more acoustic tracks. It's like their Zeppelin three. But then the third album, Razamanaz, which is uh, the first one produced by Roger Glover from Deep Purple, uh, that's when things really took off for them. Yeah. To some people, that might almost be considered their first album. Yeah. Well, it certainly set the template for the band for the rest of the 70s, right? That was the sound huh. that uh, yeah. they took for the rest of the, the decade. So, yeah, yeah personally, personally, I agree with you. No, no Mean City for me is the opus uh, of the band's discography. Um, in fact, I would go as far to say that I think it's one of the top five hard rock albums of all time. Uh, amazing. Every track I absolutely love. Um, you know, it's got the metal opener uh, uh, just to get into it. And then you got... Um, a bunch of doom uh, tracks claim the fame and what's in it for me. Absolutely love that. And then you got the radio should have been radio hits. I don't know why they weren't um, star may the sunshine and whatever mm -hmm. you want, babe, just like every single song. It's, it's a varied album, but every song is just uh, amazing. See a song like may the sunshine. That's one of the ones that was on that double very, very best of that. I was introduced to Nazareth. So that was an, an example right there of a song that I didn't know if it was a big hit or, or if no one ever heard it, but it was mixed in there with all those hits. So I just accepted those kind of songs. Yeah. Um, I remember in, in my I, introduction. I, yeah. I saw um, uh, Nazareth for the first time on this tour uh, in 1979 with Ted Nugent, Aerosmith and, and Ramones and, you know, the 55,000 people and they did May the sunshine and everybody was doing the arms and singing along with it and awesome. then never saw them do it again. It's just like, it worked. Right. Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> Well, you, you saw them with Zal Clemenson, so that's yeah. uh, you have a lot of respect for me just for that. <laughs> I'm that's just <awesome>. older. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You would have been there. <laughs> I just heard about them. I don't really know. <laughs> it's from history books. I don't really know that much. <laughs> uh, the other album that I point to is Loud and Proud from 1973, so the one after Razmanaz. Uh, mainly be, because I, I, I find that the uh, consistency in that album is just... Uh, off the charts, especially the first uh, first side, uh, as, I, as I told you before, I think it's bulletproof in that, you know, you got go down fighting, not faking it, turn on your receiver, like every single track is A1 Nazareth. 
and even the second side is is quite good although there's a couple of tracks that sort of bring it down um so i i think of that as a nine out of ten but uh yeah just you're right though that um there's a ton of great albums to pick from and if if you if there's people out there that haven't um checked out nazareth i would uh, suggest that you start in the 70s and then move your way through oh, uh, sure yeah yeah, Loud and Proud is notable too. There's a Dylan cover on here that, yeah, it's like a proto doom, almost like something off the first Sabbath album or something. And it's so dark and lumbering, and it's just this. It's hard to imagine it's it's a Bob Dylan song, yeah. you know, like a Dylan fan who would hear that would probably be terrified. Um, and I'm a huge Dylan fan, but uh, what they do with it is is they really recast it. You know, they're when they cover a song, they often really make it their own, and that's one of the best examples where they take that Dylan, they keep the lyric, and they just add totally new music to it. This real sludgy, slow. It's it's very very heavy for you know early seventies. Nazareth. I would actually say Hair of the Dog is probably proto-doom-ish, the whole album, not just the song. Like sure. it's just, there's just such an overall feel. It's it's a it's a vibe as well as a sound that's just uh you're almost depressed as you're you're uh taking it off your record player after listening to it. It's well when they when they go heavy and and they're not always heavy, they have a lot of different mm-hmm. you know elements to their music, which I think makes them great. But when they go heavy, they go heavy. They they really do heavy well yeah um, and you know those are examples of that where like they they can be just as heavy as as early sabbath yeah. if they want yeah but they're not gonna just do that yeah. which is well, cool which is and also unfortunate in a sense because we'll get into the uh 80s and 90s it might have uh, put them in better stead to go that route but sure we'll get there <laughs> yeah yeah uh so the worst album of the of the decade in your opinion well, again, I, I, I really love everything that they did. I know some people would probably pick their second album, Exercises. I think you, you're going to mm-hmm. because it is more acoustic. There's more folk stuff on there. There is a there's a track called 1692, the Glencoe Massacre, which deals with the part of Scottish history that's really important. Um, so I like it for that a lot. Um, so actually, the weakest album in the 70s that I would probably pick is Playing the Game. To me, it's just not that cohesive. I mean, it has I Want to Do Everything for You, uh, which they played live for years and years in the 70s. That was a big tune. Uh, but some of the other stuff just is not that memorable to me anyway. So actually, if I had to pick between this and exercises, this would probably be, it's at least my least played Nazareth album from the 70s. Um, that one um, at least uh, has a couple of songs that, you know, it's got Sweet Revenge and... There's another good track on there that uh, I absolutely love. Just one second, look in my notes. Uh, Somebody to roll. Yeah. You know, uh, I could pick, uh, you know, a couple of songs from there, and yeah, I would agree. It's it's, it's pretty weak album for them, uh, but exercises for me, I can't even pick one song that I put on a best of Nazareth tape that I ever had. I I just, uh, you know, I'm a headbanger, right? So um, I just found, you know, they started out as a hard rock band with their their debut and then they go all this folky and almost orchestrated in the second album yeah. it's like you're confusing everybody what are you what are you doing and then they turn back to their hard rock you know in the third album going forward so yeah that, that's the one for me i just go uh no thanks it's almost well, like exercises hard. exercises does have a an early version of woke up this morning yeah which then they re-recorded on rasmanaz and kind of you know heavied yeah. it up 
but um yeah still a very strong decade for these guys like even with those you know even even if you took exercises and playing the game out of it everything that's left is gold yeah any underrated album that you wanted to uh, talk about there for sure for me would be uh close enough for rock and roll um i I was recently on an episode of martin popoff's youtube channel called the contrarians Mm -hmm. where you pick an album to talk about that most people don't like and martin doesn't like that one (laughs) but uh there's just something about it it always really kind of captured my imagination when i was a kid it's sort of a concept album about being on the road of course everyone knows telegram because they opened with that for years and years um they dropped it for a while i think in the early 90s and then brought it back um so that's a real famous song a lot of people have memories of seeing nazareth in the 70s and having them open with telegram Mm -hmm. and uh, the rest of the stuff hardly ever gets played i think somebody told me that uh, they played loretta a couple of times or something but um so vancouver shakedown they've ne- never played which doesn't seem to make any sense to me i think that would go over really well yeah. with the um, canadian crowds and uh, it also has one of their poppiest songs that i love which was also from the very very best of called carry out feelings and to me it's just this lovely happy little song there's a bit of a caribbean kind of rhythm to it and uh dan's vocals are great uh, there's great harmony vocals it's really fun to sing along with and kind of like do the harmony part um one of my favorite nazareth songs of all time uh, it was a single uh, didn't really chart i don't remember what the number was but uh i just love that song it's just like short but just so lovely so nice everything about it and then they get back into stuff like Lift the Lid, which is very heavy. And uh, Born Under the Wrong Sign is also pretty heavy. Vancouver Shakedown. But um, overall, that would be my underrated album for, for the 70s. But I am obsessed with it. I love it. I've got three different versions of it on CD. And uh, if they put out a fourth, I will buy it. <laughs> you will get it. Yeah. <laughs> Mine would be Expect No Mercy. Um uh, for, for some reason, I always thought that one was was uh, certain like sort of like playing the game spotty some great songs and uh, some not so great songs but when I revisited uh, the album as part of uh, prepping for this episode, uh, I, I was sitting there going, oh, there's good. There's a good. One. There's a good. One. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised, uh, you know. Um, uh, uh, and of course it has gone dead terrain, which is, uh, the big sing-along for them that they bring back and forth and in, into their, uh, set. But I, you know, I, um, so much so I like this album, I'd actually give it an eight out of 10, which is, uh, you know, quite high in my scoring scale. So, all right. Well, um, one of the things about expect no mercy as some people might not know, and this is the salvo reissue. So this is the one to get, uh, when the band first handed in the album to the record company, Uh, they passed on it and they told them to go back and write some more material so some of those songs ended up on b-sides and 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 a bunch of it never came out so with this version it presents the complete expect no mercy that we all grew up with and then for bonus tracks it's got the uh the album that didn't come out so the version that the record company didn't think was so, so even some of the uh, songs that are overlapping is it different version of the same songs or is it yes oh, yes interesting yeah so they re-record like something like revenge is sweet yeah which is from this one yeah and uh 
Gone Dead Train. It's earlier versions of them. And in some cases, those versions are actually a little bit heavier. So it doesn't really kind of make too much sense of how the first version of the album didn't have, uh, I don't know, they thought it wasn't, it wasn't heavy enough or something. But uh, also interestingly, the first version of this doesn't have the song Expect No Mercy. And I've tried to get to the bottom of that to ask, well, what was the name of the album then? <laughs> and uh, nobody can seem to remember. And what about the artwork? What is it, it going to be? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, well, I guess they, I guess, uh, I guess they, did, they really hadn't started out with the artwork. But um, yeah, if you love Expect No Mercy, or even if you just kind of like it, you probably want to get this version uh, from Salvo because uh, these bonus tracks are really interesting. And it's, uh, it's a great release that they decided to put that together. Can you put up the album cover there for a second? Yeah, so uh, I always love this one uh, because if you look closely, uh, the guy who's going to be, uh, uh, you know, killing him is going to cut off his own arms because of his horns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pete Pete mentions that uh, a lot in interviews. He's mentioned it to me uh, in person a couple of times. He loves pointing that out. <laughs> All right, so why don't we listen to something uh, from the '70s? Uh, what do you? Uh, what would you like to put on there? Uh, did I have something the other day that we talked about? I don't remember. Uh, we were now. talking about whatever you want, babe. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. That's great. Okay. albums for consideration um starting with 1980s malice in wonderland through to 1989 snakes and ladders uh so your top album from that decade uh it's a difficult decade for nazareth they um they were kind of stumbling a little bit and uh geez i sure know what my bottom one is <laughs> you know F full circle's got some good stuff on it it's 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 not really a favorite album of my mind, but uh, I do like it. Uh, cinema is surprisingly good. I was surprised when I was, like I said, I, I have two copies of each of these, but I didn't have a lot of strong memories of that album. And when I re-listened to it, when I started researching the book, I was surprised that despite the 80s kind of production, it's, uh, it's actually pretty good. And there's some great live uh, TV broadcasts from that tour where they do that material and it's even heavier. So there's a, like they were on the German show Rock Palace and you can find that on YouTube and it's a lot better. So that, that's, I don't know if that's my favorite album or if that's an underrated album uh, for the eighties. Um, 2XS, I like a lot. I love the cover, but uh, this is where they start kind of getting a little wimpy for me. Uh, although there's got some great songs and Billy Rankin is now in the band. He wrote uh, Dream On, which is on this record. Uh, Love Leads to Madness, a great song that I, I've always liked. Back to the Trenches is one of those ones that's a lot heavier live. 
than uh than it is on the album so it's an odd decade for them it's it's uh they're trying to figure out what what to do next and they they don't seem to really know uh the album called the catch is kind of an an example of that too they're they're adding keyboards and they're they're getting kind of more trying to get more commercial instead of more heavy yeah so uh it was uh but you know they're not the only one there are a lot of groups who you know i don't know like somebody like kiss they put out lick it up which a lot of people like that album and they have fond memories of it but they sure weren't like selling lots of records and they weren't selling you know a lot of concert tickets either yeah. so all, a lot all of the big bands from the 70s were doing that right yeah aerosmith yeah. ted nugent uh as you said kiss they all went a little lighter you know to sell in, in the 80s but, yeah cheap trick did it too yeah um yeah a lot of groups they just didn't really seem to know how to adapt to uh to that decade and some of them were just better at it than others yeah. i think the guys in nazareth they're maybe a little bit older than some of those guys because they kind of got their professional start a little bit later in life so the idea of dressing up in spandex and getting their hair all poofed out um you know like i like i like ryan james Dio a lot but when you look at photos of him from a certain period there oh man that's not a good idea yeah so i'm glad there aren't photos of you know manny charlton looking like that (laughs) (laughs) well their bassist would have trouble with that era for sure (laughs) yeah yeah sure um, yeah, so so for me, uh, I agree. The the eighties, right away in uh, nineteen eighty, Malice in Wonderland, uh, to me was the the album that sent the te- uh, set the template for the basically for the eighties and nineties. In that uh, they turned from uh, a hard rock focus into uh, almost like a classic rock band, uh, where they have some rock and roll, they'll have some ballads, they'll have some uh, you know heavy tracks. Uh, and they mix it up in there. Uh, and that one did uh, really well at the time uh, in Canada. It's, it, had, it was on the radio all the time in Toronto in 1980. It was a big hit. Sure. Um, I liked it, but I thought it was a little inconsistent. It was uh, to excess, uh, as you pointed out, a few years later. To me, that is Malice in Wonderland done properly in that the songwriting uh, is just superb. Uh, it hits a lot of different pockets. You know, it's got, as I said, the ballads, the rock and roll, the hard rock, everything is in there. Uh, but just every song is amazing to me. And uh, I actually consider this uh, the second best Nazareth album of all time. Uh, the only, uh, uh, a 10 out of 10 uh, classic in my mind. I know I'm uh, one of the few who holds it up that high, but I absolutely love that album for, uh, for sure. Right. Um, so what about worst album? I'm, uh, I know we're going to be agreeing on this one. Well, worst album for me, it's, it, it's not even so much that it's the worst Nazareth album. It's that it's not a Nazareth album really at all. And that's snakes and ladders. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically a glorified Dan McCaffrey solo album and not a very good one at that, but it's, um, they got a new, uh, they got a new label. And the guy who ran the label apparently loved Dan's voice, wasn't so crazy about the other guys. So even though they got to write on the album and play somewhat, um, there's uh, studio musicians credited on the record. So there's there's definitely guitar solos where you'll just realize that's not Manny. There's no way. And there's like backing vocals that you know it's it's not Pete. So uh, even the bass know. work I find, you know, uh, Pete's 
base work is totally unique. You could tell it's him yeah. or not. Hey, eh? like he's, he's a sure. really good underrated bassist. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just not, not a, not an Azrath album. I, there's no other way for me to put it. And I know for people who maybe grew up with the album and people who didn't know that it's not an Azrath album, that's, that's tough to take. And I've, I've had this conversation with, you know, hardcore fans in Scotland who are like, what are you talking about? That's my favorite Nazareth record. I'm sorry. You know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. If you think that the best Nazareth record they can make is with other guys playing the parts, then are we even talking about Nazareth anymore? Like how many pieces do you change out before it stops being yeah. that, that band? You're a Dan McCafferty fan. Yeah. Right. Which is great. Yep. I mean, I, I think every Nazareth fan is a damn McCaffrey fan, but I like all those guys. And I think all those guys are important to, especially the seventies success. You know, Manny wasn't just a guitar player. He's also writing and producing after Roger Glover left uh, the producer's chair. So he has a big part of these albums. Yeah. So to not let him play or you end up having guys like, yeah, Pete Agnew and Manny Charlton doing guest spots on their own album that's just a, a concept that doesn't work uh, for me. And this album wasn't released in North America. Uh, that could be part of it. Um, there are some lot. Sorry. <laughs> they knew better. <laughs> yeah. They heard it and went, forget it. This does, this isn't a Nazareth album. Yeah. That's a, it's really a sad state of affairs that this even exists. You know, who would, the fact that this label guy didn't want guys like Manny Charlton on a Nazareth record. I don't think he really knows what Nazareth is all about, but here it is. So yeah. we got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you. To me, that's the worst album of, of the discography. Not even close. It, it makes uh, blocks for uh, Blackfoot's uh, vertical smiles look, uh, uh, look good. So uh, yeah, just a corporate horror sellout album. I've always considered it just for the radio, but yeah. uh, what about underrated albums from that uh, decade? Uh, well, again, I would I'd probably go with, with Cinema, just because I know that's one that even I I didn't rate very highly for a long time. I just thought, oh, that's 80s you know, stuff. I don't, I don't like that stuff. But uh, it's actually pretty good. And the Salvo version, so this has the catch and Cinema together. It's got like eight songs or something here uh, from a BBC live performance on the cinema tour and when they do some of that album stuff um it's really great even this month's messiah which is from the catch yeah. is great live yeah. like that's you know that's a tune that they took to another place when they went live um you know the catch has ruby tuesday uh, stones cover which they had a bit of a hit with as well but there's just you know there's just some stuff on the catch that i can't kind of really connect with but cinema i would say would be my underrated it's worth a listen anyway yeah yeah there there's some tracks you can pull out of there for sure, for sure. yeah um the one that, uh that uh i think really highly of that uh um is sound elixir from 1983 so it's mm -hmm. the album uh after 2xs uh so it found the band lightening up their sound like it, uh, and it's a yeah. uh, the, the way it was recorded it was very plush very lush you know and and uh very light uh, but overall, the songwriting, I, I, the strength of the songwriting from 2XS to me is carried over, even though the tracks are lighter. Um, you know, uh, some favorites here like Rain on the Window and Rags to Riches should have been on the radio. Um, Where Are You Now, I thought was one of their best ballads. They do ballads well. And, and I really thought that that was a strong one. 
Yeah, it's great. That, uh, the rock and roll of local still and backroom boys, just uh, all together. I uh, I actually consider this uh, my uh, an eight point five above Razmanaz and Hair of the Dog, which mm. is sacrilege to Nazareth Nazareth fans. <laughs> but I don't know I, something about eighty two and eighty three. I just love that era of of the band. Well, to show how. I guess underrated or underappreciated sound elixir is there's a song on here called why don't you read the book so when i send out books to people what i used to do is you know try to write something funny or or do some sort of a quote from a song or a lyric or some kind of thing so there's people uh we had a launch party for my nazareth book when it first came out at a scottish pub here in toronto that i hang out at and uh i thought well that's perfect so i'd write in her you know to Chris, why don't you read the book? And of course, the guy would open it and go, well, I'm going to. I didn't have it, right? Like, no one knew that that was a song title. So I, I realized got it. <laughs> you would have known. But, uh, yeah, so I realized, oh, I can't write that in people's books anymore. They think I'm being a jerk. <laughs> why don't you read, read the, the book? damn thing. Don't just oh, buy it. Read it. Yeah, right. It was. <laughs> so I, I stopped doing that immediately. <laughs> So uh, why don't we listen to, uh, why don't we read the book? Yeah, good idea. We have uh, only three albums to uh, cover here. Uh, 1991's No Jive, 94 uh, was Move Me, and 1998 was Boogaloo. Uh, so what was your top album of those three? Well, it's a slim decade for them, right? To go from, what was it, nine albums in 10 years in the 70s to three? Yeah. It's uh, not a lot of output anymore as, as they get older and stuff like that. But I love No Jive. Uh, this is the first one with Billy Rankin back on guitar. Uh, Manny is gone, so Billy is doing all the guitar parts, which is great. Um, another album that was not released in North America at the time, but uh, it's got some stuff that's a little heavier. Uh, it's really a guitar album. They uh, Not as much keyboards as we've had on the last couple of records. A return to more natural-sounding drums instead of drum machines with some of the 80s productions. Um, so this is a really, really good one. I like it a lot. Again, of the three, it's hard to pick because the next one, Move Me, Billy Rankin is still there. It, it's still, I think it's a really good album. I probably like No Jive a little bit more. The third one from the decade, Boogaloo, is excellent. Uh, I saw them on that tour when they opened with Lights Come Down, uh, Robber and the Roadie, God Save the South, you know, which is a slow kind of bluesy thing that they do really well. Um, that's a real return to form album, I thought. And it was released in North America. It didn't really do anything with sales and charts. But uh, Boogaloo is a record I would really recommend. That would be my favorite. Yeah, that's the beginning of the Jimmy Merson uh, era. Right? Yes, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just found that the, uh, that album is, is a little bit more consistent than the, than the other two. 
uh, and and you're right. The um, that whole decade, I, I agree. They they went back a little bit more to their hard rock sound and not as uh, uh, radio friendly or radio direct, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that my favorite um, uh, tracks you brought up were Cheerleader and Robber and Roadie, like up tempo rock and rollers. That like this is a band that knows how to rock and roll, right? When they uh, when they let loose, I just wish they'd do more of it on their albums. It's all, always limited to one or two uh, tracks, but they're they're prime uh, at doing that. So what about uh, the, your of those three? You said they're pretty uh, pretty close. Was there? doesn't sound like you had one that's the worst that you put in that category. No, they're all not really. No. Okay. Uh, I, myself, I always put no jive in there. Um, uh, in that again, uh, you know, they have higher and fire and, uh, right between the eyes. And the other one I, I really liked was, uh, the Rona tree. Tell me that you love me. That right. combination. That's that, uh, Celtic stuff again, right. That they sometimes yeah. throw in and not enough. Um, yes for sure I just, I just found it just a little bit weaker than the other three right so any, any uh song that you'd like uh snippet for the the fans to hear from the 90s um i, th- I think i think i would have to go with light comes down from boogaloo all right when the night comes out and the sandman rides we're gonna sing and shout We're going to the 2000s now, and uh, we've got four albums, uh, starting with 2008, The News, right through to 2018 with their latest, Tattooed on My Brain. Uh, so of the four, Robert, what do you, uh, what do you hold as the, the best? Well, I like The News uh, and Big Dogs a lot. I think those two are probably tied for me. And part of the reason could be that I can't really tell the difference between them. They're very samey in terms of production and uh, i think they're working with the same guy on each album yeah and uh it's the same band members uh, they're writing the same yeah yeah there's no lineup changes uh, at this point so the two of them together uh are almost like one album in my mind and i'm sure if you took the best tracks from each you could come up with a really killer album but uh both of them are good they're back to being uh like we said with no jive like a hard rock band uh, emphasis on guitars over keyboards real drums dan is still sounding really strong um so you really can't go wrong with either of those in my opinion you know and, uh, um i'm not a huge fan of, of these four albums uh, uh you know we talked offline about how um uh you, you know the news and the uh, big dogs and even rock and roll telephone to me they all sound the same like if you picked a song from any of them i, I know what era but i wouldn't know what what uh what album it comes from that it's very right. similar to late era motorhead right uh it's right. good but you just don't know you know where it all fits uh but when i was listening uh getting ready for this i, I gave uh tattooed on my brain another uh, another chance and and i found um that even though dan mccafferty's not on it um that 
I, I just found that the writing's just a tad bit heavier and uh, more outright hard rock. And that just sort of inched it above the other three. I wouldn't say it's a great album, but uh, you know, my favorite of, of the four. Mm. Yeah. So uh, you want to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Dan's uh, situation uh, and how he ended up retiring, that sort of thing? Right. So uh, they're in the middle of a Canadian tour, actually. And uh, he had to stop twice because he was having trouble breathing. So uh, he's got a lung issue. I don't remember the exact medical version. I think I, I think I called it the wrong thing in my book and somebody called me out on Amazon for it or something. So, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, he couldn't breathe just, while he was singing. Yeah, he was, uh, he was just having trouble keep, keeping up. So that's, uh, but you know, from, for a man of his age and he's been doing it for so long, he was a heavy smoker for years and years, like decades mm -hmm. and decades. Um, you know, he's not going to perform at that same level. I mean, we see that with, uh, with musicians, you get to a certain point. That's why there's some seventies groups out there now and they're lip syncing to tapes yeah. because they can't do it. And if you listen to any kiss bootlegs from the last 15 years or so, uh, Paul's pretty rough. So it happens, you know, that's why you don't have major league pitchers who are like in their forties and fifties. Like you just don't have the same firepower. And when you listen to how Dan used to sing, especially in the seventies, that scream that he had, you know, it's amazing that he can even speak because his, his vocal, his throat has gone through so much uh, wear and tear. So he were, he was, he was forced to retire uh, doctor told him uh, he had to, and he did immediately. Like as soon as he got that doctor's report, they canceled the Canadian tour, and uh, immediately he said, "I'm out. Not not allowed to do this anymore." Basically, it's a uh, too tough on him. He can still do a couple of songs here and there, and he's before COVID. There's been times he's like flown to Germany or places like that, and they do these big shows where they have like different '70s rock singers yeah. and an orchestra. Yeah. So you know. You have like that that younger guy who's on the last couple of live Rainbow albums, maybe, and you know, Ronnie, somebody, um, and just people like that. So Dan's done that kind of stuff, but it's really just him maybe singing three songs, yeah. maybe not even back to back, maybe taking turns with these guys. Sure. So, um, but in terms of being like a, the lead vocalist of Nazareth, that's that's hundred percent over, and uh, touring the world and going to hotels and planes and. You know, I don't know if he'll ever come to North America again. There's, there's really no reason for him to. I don't think he will. Uh, well, before, uh, before we head off, uh, can you talk to us about his? Uh, he's got three solo albums. Um, yeah. You know, if you could touch on those three, and you know, which ones are the high points? Uh, you know, what years did they come out in? Uh, that sort of thing. Sure. So his, uh, the his first album is called Dan McCafferty. Here, uh, came out while they took a little bit of a break this is what these guys do when they want to take a break so they're recording nazareth records yeah. they're on the road constantly they're going to take a break before they do their new album which was close enough for rock and roll they all go into the studio and do a damn mccafferty solo album so it's produced by manny pete agnew is on it and co-wrote a bunch of the stuff with dan roger glover is on bass and zal clemenson who's not in nazareth at this point is on guitar so him and Manny get to work together and learn what they're, you know, that kind of relationship, what that could be. It's almost like a testing ground for bringing Zal in later on uh, in 79. 
Um, I think it's a great record. It has, so it's Dan as a vocalist doing different kinds of material. So we can see what he does outside of Nazareth. And it doesn't necessarily sound like a Nazareth record. It's a little softer in parts. There, uh, there's a big ballad with a huge orchestra called Stay With Me Baby, uh, which is fantastic. And he does stuff like uh, Dylan's Boots of Spanish Leather. And uh, what's the Stone song on here? Out of Time. I mean, the Stones covered it, but uh, so it's great. It's a little different. Uh, you Got Me Humming is an old Sam and Dave R&B song. And when they went back out on the road for Close Enough for Rock and Roll, they were actually playing about three songs from this record. So it, it, it is part of the Nazareth, you know, it's just like a little side venture, but you have all these guys on it who are Nazareth guys. And um, I, I think it's a great record and it shows a bit of a different side of Dan, which is uh, interesting. So his well, second yeah. album... Uh, it sort of reminds me of ACDC, how you're talking about a close-knit gang, uh, that ACDC was sort of the same, right? You know, any member down, they were very specific on who they wanted to bring in, even family, and in, in, uh, in, uh, in one case, playing bass, right? So it's, it sounds the same in Nazareth, that they want to keep things tight, you know? Definitely in the 70s, they were, they were like that. Um, I mean, they were on the same label as the Sensational Alex Harvey Band, so it makes sense that Zal was a friend and they all knew each other. So yeah, you have a guy like Roger Glover who produced them. Now he's playing bass with them. And yeah, it all it, it is very family. Well, just they're all drinking buddies. <laughs> yeah, they like well, they if they didn't like spending time together, they're sure doing it wrong because they're they're together all the time now. Right, right. Even when they're not recording Nazareth records, they're gonna do a Dan McCafferty record. Okay. What about the second one? So in the 80s, he put out a second album. Uh, I think Nazareth may have been between labels. And it's called Into the Ring. It's a little different. Um, the first half of it, it's uh, songs uh, that him and Pete wrote together. So those are also kind of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. They could have been Nazareth songs. Um, I think I left out on the... Yeah, on the first album, there was a single, and the B-side is a song called Nightingale. That's actually a close enough for rock and roll outtake. So the lines are real blurred between Nazareth and that first Dan album. But the second album, Into the Ring, uh, it's got this concept album for the second side. They took an album. This, this gets a little complicated. They took an album by a German guy named Hans Hartz, I think. He wrote this long concept album about people getting on a boat and traveling far away and some of them don't make it. And then when they get to the island, it's desolate and they can't live there. So they go back. It's this really long piece. And Dan actually sings one of the songs on this guy's album. So that's just like a little side thing. So when it comes time for Dan to do Into the Ring, he re-records that guy's whole side of it, that album. So the whole second half of Into the Ring it's just Dan covering this Hans Hart's concept album of the boats and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So it's really weird. It's interesting, uh, you know, for them to do it. I don't know the whole story of how that came to be, um, except I guess from him appearing on the original album, then he liked the whole concept liked it and, and wanted to do it. Yeah. I think their instrumentation is the same, actually. I think they just wipe the oh, German right. guy's vocals, vocals. And, and Dan just did his parts on top of it. Wow. But, uh, but some money. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I like it. I'm, uh, you know, it's, it, it's definitely kind of different. You know, at the time I was writing the book, I like printed out the lyrics to all of them so I could kind of follow the story. And 
figure out what happened and it's a little convoluted but uh it's still interesting and you could tell my copy there dan uh signed it dan signed it when i was uh having lunch with him a few years ago um this is a great package anyway to get both those cds together and one uh, thing from eagle vision right so then his his last one right so this is the one that came out just a few years ago 2019 um that was after he retired from uh, nazareth right yeah so kind of again he's he's told he can't be in nazareth anymore so that you know you're not a professional musician anymore to the studio (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing so this is this is an interesting album It, it is kind of dark it's uh dan at the later stages of his life looking back on this long career it's very deep and melancholy. It's even maybe a little emotional in some parts. You know, it's like some of Johnny Cash's final recordings or the, there was an album that uh, Glenn Campbell recorded shortly before uh, he passed away called Ghost on the Canvas. And it's that kind of an idea. Like I'm, you know, very I'm nostalgic for, you know, where I've come from and all this. It's a man taking stock of uh of his life and of his career so it's it's definitely a a heavier emotional kind of thing than we're used to expect from nazareth but uh it's fascinating it's not necessarily a fun listen because of what you're hearing and what you're going through but it's a very emotional uh album for someone like i only heard one song from it and i found his voice like really strained and thin is that uh, uh, throughout the whole album, or was that just the the single that came out? No, that's that's how he that's how he sounds now. Um, when when I met him, we we met for drinks. My wife and I were on honeymoon, and um, he uh, he has to take, he has to breathe slowly. And if he if he kind of gets a little too excited, you can tell it gets hard on him. So uh, his 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 breathing and uh, he has to take it slow. He has to take everything slow. But in this case, it actually fits the material because yeah. it's specifically from an older person's uh, perspective. And it sounds like it, you know, it really sounds like somebody looking back. Um, so I like it a lot. It is, it, the first time I heard it, it was a little emotional and a little painful to listen to. You know, when you grow up with him as the screamer uh, on stage and you're just used to him being that. I mean, he was like one of my hard rock heroes from you know years and years. And now to realize, oh yeah, we're we're winding down here. Yeah. We're uh, we're winding down. But just, um, just like Lemmy, right? The last two tours, it was the same thing. Yeah. Sure. Although in this case, at least you know they got Dan off the road, so that we wouldn't see what was happening. Yeah. You know, near near the end of Motorhead, there were clips online that were just painful to watch. That Lemmy really should not have been on that stage, in my opinion. And, you know, and I, I pick up those recent live albums that they that they put out. There's just a recent one from Germany or uh, I think it was Germany. And, you know, I listen to it like once or twice and I file it because I'm not going back to that. If I'm going back to any live Motorhead and I have quite a bit of Motorhead, there's lots of great records I can listen to. And not necessarily all from the 70s. They were pretty strong for like a long time. Yep. But the stuff from like the last five or six years of his life, that's for me, that's really tough to listen to. It's to me, it sounds like a man in in pain. Um, So Dan has, you know, Dan's not doing that. Dan's retired. He's still living in Dunfermline, Scotland with his wife. 
and he's just enjoying being retired and spending time with his grandchildren and stuff like that and occasionally having a visitor like me drop in yeah um, and then visiting the studio uh once every few years uh, yeah it is right. what he We're, does right that's his he's well sure and, it, and in the studio he can take his time with it and maybe he can only do one song every couple of days or something and the project might take longer but yeah, he's he's still a musician, but uh, he's not he's not doing anything that's going to make his condition worse, which I think is what was happening with Lemmy. I mean, there's no way that guy should have still been on, on yeah. the stage. It was yeah, pathetic. somebody should have spoken up. But I guess yeah. you couldn't with him. He was headstrong. Right. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So before we head off, was there anything that you wanted to um, uh, bring out uh, overall about the Nazareth discography that we haven't touched on yet? Well, yeah, we should probably talk about because i i always insist on talking about the live album oh, right so uh so the, you know they put up this live album snaz recorded mostly in vancouver and a uh, big album for me at the time you know this is like my kiss alive my cheap trick at budokan you know you yeah. could name all the one thin lizzie live and dangerous this is right up there with them and i oh, loved it Bonzo. as a kid yeah sure like all those great 70s early 80s live albums snaz is right up there with them but then what happened was as i started collecting more and getting into bootlegs and stuff i found that they did a bbc radio broadcast in 1980 and it is on the malice tour so zal clemenson is in the band and it smokes this thing um which again i love mm -hmm. but the hammersmith show is incredible so it was broadcast on BBC, or at least an hour of it was. They issued a seven-inch single, which had four songs. So people had heard some of those songs. When they did the Castle reissue of Malice in Wonderland, I think they just included those four songs on CD, which is great. And then when Salvo did their uh, reissue of Malice, they have a whole set of bonus tracks which are from the hammersmith recording it's not the whole show but it's you know like eight tunes again or something and it's just fantastic and i zal and manny working together is incredible the way that they weave their guitar lines in between it's like they're both soloing non-stop in every song they just like they're out of their minds they're not following you know that's not how the song goes but they're just like tearing it up and it's phenomenal of course dan is in excellent form as usual and and pete and daryl are great but the guitars are incredible it's not like you know manny staying out of zal's way and letting him solo or something or yeah. and it's not like manny is insisting while well, i'm the main guitar player so i get to do all the leads and the solos no let's both go for it yeah. and we're both just going to go nuts yeah. and it's almost like the ron wood keith richards interweaving how they but with them they they interweave back and forth between like lead and rhythm parts these guys are both just soloing like crazy <laughs> and i've often thought like if that had been their first live album if that had come out um i think zal probably would have stayed in the band because i think it would have gone down as one of the really great live albums in history like it would it would be on that same level of Live and Dangerous and all those other records that I mentioned. And it might have helped them navigate the 80s a little bit more as a more of a harder rock uh, unit. Again, I love Snaz growing up, but when I listen to it now, there's a keyboard player. Yeah. There isn't too good. Well, Billy, 
Billy Rankin is in the band, so there are two guitars. But you also have these keyboards that are filling in the spaces. And it's actually a lot of a lighter album than I thought it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid listening to them do uh, Shapes of Things on SNAZ blew me away. Like, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard. And as an adult, it's not, or someone pretending to be an adult, <laughs> it's actually not that heavy, especially yeah. not as heavy as the Hammersmith. So there was a recent box set that came out with all their CDs and all kinds of booklets and posters and stuff in it. And uh, the Hammersmith broadcast, anyway, is in there on vinyl. So any fans who've got that box set, they can finally listen to it if they haven't heard it. Uh, you can hear the um, the broadcast on YouTube. The audio has been on there for a long time. And again, it's not quite the complete show. But as soon as they kick into Razmanaz, which they... While they didn't open with, but the broadcast starts with it, you'll notice that this is not how Razmanaz has ever been played before. There's so many extra guitars on it, and like they're just going for it. It's sped up. It's uh, they're really excited. There's a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a misstep. Um, but for people who like the live stuff, this is a great two CD set called Back to the Trenches, and this is a combination of different like BBC recordings and some radio stuff. Uh, it does have three songs, I think, from the cinema or the catch tour. So it kind of covers a lot of different areas. Uh, it's got four songs from Hammersmith. Uh, but I make that point in the book that having the Hammersmith songs just be on a few singles or B-sides or, you know, bonus tracks on different CDs, that's not doing anyone's, you know, history any favors. I really believe that the Hammersmith show still should come out as a standalone release on vinyl and on cd and on whatever other formats we're looking at in the future uh, because it is incredible anyone who's a big nazareth fan uh, who hasn't heard the hammersmith 1980 show you got to check it out it's like one of the best things they ever did excellent so anything else before we uh, shut her down or Uh, i guess that's it all right well thanks again for uh joining us and helping uh helping us through this and uh, to everybody who's still watching there, thank you and, and listening. Uh, thanks for uh, sticking with us. And uh, if you uh, want to uh, keep up to date on anything heavy metal, hard rock, make sure you check out our website, www.themightydecibel.com. And Robert, one last uh, time, can you uh, advise people where they can find your, uh, your book and uh, get in contact with you? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my Nazareth book, Rasmus Naz is actually out of print right now, um, but I still have uh, some hardcover copies of it. So if anyone's looking for it and there's still, it's, 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 an, it's a regular thing where every once in a while, somebody who's a huge Nazareth fan, but somehow they just didn't know about it, learns about it. And I think part of that is due to like the lockdown and stuff. Maybe there's people who've never been on Facebook or on Instagram and now they join it because they're stuck at home all day. Yeah. And all of a sudden they find out, oh, there is a Nazareth book. So uh, people can contact me directly, uh, either through Facebook or Twitter, or any of the social media, uh, or through, through uh, my email, which is lawsonnca at yahoo.com. And I can ship out a, a hardcover. I think I still have, uh, well, I still have a few. So uh, we can do that. Um, my more recent books about Cheap Trick and The Guess Who are available on all Amazon online stores and from my publisher, which is Freeze and Press. And uh, they have an online bookstore. So those ones are those ones are a little easier to get. 
Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks again and uh, take care, everybody. Bye.